Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, so this, this week we're still continuing in our series um, that's, that's simply named Jesus. And what we're looking at are stories where Jesus encounters people, where Jesus sees people and their lives are changed. And then sometimes there are places where Jesus encounters people and they kind of freak out and they say, no, we don't want that. And they walk away. But then there's some places where Jesus encounters people and their lives are changed and they're transformed and their lives take, their trajectory changes completely and the kingdom of God breaks through and God is glorified and praised. And this morning I'm excited about the story that we get to go into. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a, a weird, it has a little bit of weirdness in it, and that's kind of cool. Um, we're going we're gonna to get into that, and we're going to see that, and we're going to see how Jesus just steps right into kind of a messy situation and brings healing and restoration and good news, all right? And the, that he can do that, then he can come into our place and do that same thing. And so we're going to open from Mark chapter 5 this morning. That's where this, this morning's story with Jesus, the encounter with Jesus is going to come from, is Mark chapter 5. And this is what it says. They came across the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs was a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a great herd of pigs that was feeding near the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter into them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man who had the legion in him sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim and the... Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear God, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you that you're a God who sees. We thank you that you're a God who enters the most dark places, and that you stand in those places with light and with confidence and with authority, and that you can bring new life 
in a moment and in an instant that you can pull us out of the deepest, darkest places of despair and that your good news can change our heart, can change our situation, and that you can bring us new life today. God, I pray that you'd bring us new life in our hearts today, that you'd speak out the things in our lives that are causing distance from you and that you would call us to yourself and that we would submit ourselves to you and that you'd bring new life and new freedom in our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of walk through this passage. And there's a lot of cool things that are happening inside this passage that I think that we don't see on the front end, that we see that's about the character of God and the heart of Jesus. And so we begin with verse 1, and it says that they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat... So what we have here is we have some context that's happening. Jesus has been in a boat, and they've been crossing the sea. Now, our Bibles sometimes aren't always helpful because there's chapter breaks. And so we start at chapter 5, and we think, new story, new chapter. That's the way we read chapter books. It's, like it's kind of like a new episode of something. But they're kind of in our Bibles more for reference, okay? They, they're really bad at actually saying, this is a new thing that's happening. And so... So what we have to do is we kind of have to go back to chapter 4 and see what's happening. And what happens in chapter 4 is that Jesus is with his disciples, and they're on the Sea of Galilee. And this is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And they're in this boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're coming across to the other side, and a storm comes up. And the disciples freak out. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat and they wake up, Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, don't you care about us? We're going to die. And Jesus stands up, and he says, peace, be still. And the whole lake goes quiet. And what that does is it just proclaims the power and the authority that Jesus has, that Jesus is God among us, that Jesus is Emmanuel, kind of that Christmas term that we use, that says that he is with us, that God is with us, and that he's living among us. And so he calms the sea, and he calms the storm. And what's interesting is that there's kind of this barrier, as we see that they come across this region, it's called the Gerasenes. Now, in some texts, it's uh, called something else. And if you look in the story, it's also in Luke and Matthew. Um, and in the Luke account, it's called the Gardeness. And so what, there's this discrepancy, and really the discrepancy doesn't matter. What matters is that there's this region it, that includes both of these cities, that include both of the spaces, and it's a Gentile region. So it means that it's not, it's not a Jewish region. It's an unclean region. It's a place that the disciples probably wouldn't ever like, go on vacation or visit intentionally or on purpose. Okay? So they're on this way, and there's this barrier that kind of separates the two people. Right? There's this people group. You've got the Jews on one side of the lake, and you've got the Gentiles on the other side of the lake. And I think it's interesting that there are these divisions, that there are these kind of like natural divisions and sometimes um, super, <laughs> um, sometimes artificial barriers that we create that cause division amongst people. So for them, there's this division between the Jews and the Gentiles that was caused by this lake and the River Jordan that went down it. Now, obviously, there are cultural barriers. There were um, just rhythms of life barriers, there were, there were worldview barriers, but there were some physical geographical things that caused these barriers to where these people groups didn't intermingle with one another. And the Jews saw themselves as clean and they saw the Gentiles as unclean. And normally whenever you start to get division, 
you start to say, those people over there, those people are unclean. Those people don't think like me, and I'm right, and they're wrong. And sometimes these barriers, it can be a lake. Sometimes it can be a road. Sometimes it can be a railroad track. Sometimes it can be a river. We have these barriers. And what I want you to see is that Jesus invites his disciples to come with him to break this barrier. Because if we go back even further in the story of Jesus calms the storm, if we look at Mark 4.35, where the calming of the storm begins, it says, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus says to them, Let's go across to the other side. Jesus invites his disciples. This is Jesus' idea. It's Jesus' idea to go from the Jewish side of the lake to the Gentile side of the lake, and he's inviting his disciples to come along. Now his disciples are like, probably like, okay. And this gives some context to the calming of the storm too, right? They're like, okay. They're like, we're going to cross the lake and go see those people in that unclean place. Now, when we hear about this guy that's demon-possessed, he's kind of made a name for himself, too. So they might even know that, like, there's a crazy person on the other side of the lake as well. Like, we're going to go see him. Like, that's what we're doing. That's what's in their heart as they start to go and sail. And then what you find in the calming of the storm is that they're not alone. The disciples aren't alone. There are other boats that are going with Jesus, too. So when Jesus shows up on the shore, there's, like, his boat, but there's like a fleet of other boats as well that have been following Jesus to see what Jesus is doing. What is Jesus going to do here in this place with those people, with this guy? Jesus is doing discipleship. Jesus is saying, come and share life with me. Come, go with me. Come, follow me and come see what I'm doing. And I think that as they're on their way and as the storm crops up, they're like, see, Jesus invited to the other side of the road, but God doesn't want us to. Like, they, they want the storm to be a barrier. They're, you know, I've, I've got to imagine, like, Jesus, we're going to die. And maybe the reason why we're dying is because we're going to the wrong place. It kind of makes you think of Jonah a little bit, right? Like, Jonah's running from God. Now, I'm, I'm adding this. This isn't in the text. But I, it just makes me think if I'm a disciple, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? as we're going to this place that I'd rather not go. But Jesus invites them, and they come, and they show up on the other side, and this is what they encounter. I mean, really immediately. In verse 3, it says, uh, Immediately there met him out of the tombs was a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out loud and he was cutting himself with stones. This is what they see as soon as they get off the boat. They, they encounter this guy. And in this place, if you were, if you were a Jew, if you were one of the disciples, like this place would, would make your stomach turn a little bit. It just screamed of uncleanliness. It's a Gentile region. You're at a cemetery, and so dead people are really unclean, and there's a crazy person who's cutting himself, who's bleeding everywhere, which also means he's unclean. Like, the whole place would just, like, I don't know if you've ever been in the bathroom, and you, like, opened a stall, and you're like, not that one, right? <laughs> right? Like, like that's, that's, that, that's, like, what would go on in these, in these guys. Like, that's what's happening in the stomach of these guys as they see this man, as they're in this foreign land, as they're with those people, like, I mean, if you're the disciples, I don't even know if they're out of the boat yet. I mean, Jesus, he steps out. 
But we really don't get what the disciples are. We assume that they come with them. That they're observing it. I don't know about you. Have you guys ever been invited to a place, to go to a place where, like, you really don't want to go? But you, you said yes anyways because they invited you along, you know? Or have you ever done anything because someone's like, hey, come do this thing with me. Come do this thing. And you're like, okay. Like, that's, that's what Jesus is doing here. This is how Jesus teaches. Jesus doesn't always teach in sermons. He teaches with his life. And he invites people into his life. And this is how Jesus does discipleship. Is that it's not about knowing things, but it's about experiencing things. And it's about seeing things with him. And so he invites his disciples into this place where they wouldn't come, where they wouldn't go on their own. And when they meet this man, they've got to look at this guy and they say, like, this guy is, like, there's no hope for him. There's no hope for him. There's no life for him. They've tried to do everything that they could in their own power. They tried to chain him. They tried to restrain him. They tried to control him. And nothing worked. But Jesus invites them to come and to see that even here, in the most God-forsaken place, that the kingdom of God is with Jesus. And that the kingdom of God is near in this place because Jesus is there. And that even in the most God-forsaken, most seedy, most ugly, most disgusting, most hopeless place, the kingdom of God is going to break forth and new life is going to come. And he wants them to see that he can do it. But more importantly, he wants them to begin to imagine that they can do it too. That they can do it too. That they can come along with him as well. I want you to kind of visualize what happens next in verses 6 through 8. And so this is what it says. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, so this is the guy that's possessed, he ran and fell before Jesus and crying with a loud voice, he says, what would you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was already saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? So you just kind of got to envision this, okay? So the, the boats are coming in, the, the, the sea's been calmed, everyone's amazed. Who is this guy that we're with? Even the seas obey him. Even the winds and the waves. Like, this is some authority and power that we have not yet seen before. That would belong only to God. So, so they're coming off of that. Probably tired, probably exhausted. They land on shore. Jesus steps out of the boat. Across the way, he sees this guy that's filled with unclean spirits. And it's like Jesus just in authority, one step says, come out of him, you unclean spirit. Like, I see him shouting it from away. Like, he's the first thing that Jesus sees when the boat lands. He sees this guy that's being tormented. He knows that he's there. And Jesus just steps out. He's not afraid. He's not scared. Everyone has been afraid. Everyone is scared because this is a crazy person that you can't restrain. But Jesus steps out with all authority and all power, and he just starts yelling at the guy. He just starts yelling at the spirits. You unclean spirits, come out of him. And what does the man do? The man listens and responds and comes running to Jesus and falls on his knees before Jesus. When the guy is before Jesus, this the demons have already submitted to Jesus. They have to submit to the voice of Jesus. And so when Jesus steps out, he's like, come here and come out of him. And he comes running. And when the guy is on his knees and he's like, what's your name? The, spirit, the spirits are trembling. 
They're afraid. Jesus isn't afraid. Jesus isn't scared. Jesus knows who he is. But the demons are afraid. And I just think about this because I think like if I'm in this situation, if I'm the disciples, like I'm afraid. I'm scared. I, I don't know what's going on. But Jesus, all authority, all power, no fear, all grace, all love, all compassion, all mercy, sees this man and calls him near. And then he asks him his name, and he says, my name is Legion, for I am many. And he starts to have this conversation with the demons. And this is, <laughs> this is the conversation that he has with them. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they began to beg him earnestly not to send them out of the country. They're afraid. They're afraid of Jesus and what Jesus can do. They know that he holds all authority, all power. Now there's a herd of pigs that was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, send us into the pigs and let us enter into them. Now these pigs, these just add to like the squirmishness that's going on in the Jewish stomach, right? Because pigs are also very unclean. They're very unclean. They're, they're not clean animals. You can't touch them. You can't eat them in the Jewish society. They're basically worthless. And so like the, the demons are like, Let's, can, we, can we just go in the pigs? Can we just go over in the pigs? And it says... Um, and Jesus gave them permission. Jesus has the authority in this place. He has the authority, he has the power, and he, he, he allows them, he gives them permission. And the spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs. The herd that was around 2,000 ran into the steep bank, into the sea, and drowned. That's where it gets a little weird. Like, demons come out of the man, into the pigs, down, and they drown themselves. And if you're the shepherds, you're like, what? what was that all about? What was that all about? Now, there's a number of things that we could try and, and like read into and try and explain and try and understand. But the important things are this. One is that demonic forces are real. But we don't have to fear them. We don't have to fear them. Because Jesus isn't afraid. And Jesus has come for the purpose of setting us free from those forces, and that he's come to actually kill it, to tie it, and send it into the abyss. That's what he does on the cross, and that's what he's going to do on the day of final judgment. So Jesus is authority, and he is king over these forces, and he is here. And so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be afraid of these forces. Jesus came to send them out, and we see this. We see this commissioning by Jesus that he he gives himself that he points to scripture from, and I love this. It's kind of like, if Jesus had a mission statement, it might be this. He's got a number of them, but this comes from Luke 4, and this is what it says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. I mean, this dude is captive. Even though nothing can bind him, even though nothing can control him, he is completely controlled by outside forces. And Jesus says, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind. So liberty, freedom to those who are oppressed, he's definitely oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus has come to do. And Jesus invites his disciples to come with him to a place that they would rather not go so that they can experience the reality of that. That Jesus is king and that he is here to take control I don't know if you guys have ever been in a tense situation where there's conflict and there's, you know, there's somebody that's causing conflict, kind of causing 
a, just a public scene and a public stirring, and, and everyone's like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of afraid. Like, I, I don't know how to step into that space. And then you have somebody that does. You have somebody that, that does, and they know how to do it. They know how to disarm. They know how to redirect. And they step into that space, and they say, you knock it off. You don't belong here. Let's go over here. And they just take control of the situation. And you just kind of watch it. And you're like, that's what that looks like. Okay. That's what Jesus is doing here. That's what Jesus is doing here. Because guess what? Next time you're in a situation like that, you have a picture of what doing that well might look like. And what doing that well looks like, it looks like Jesus stepping out of the boat saying, come here and come out of him. And what we see is that Jesus gives us the authority. He's preparing them to minister to the Gentiles. Because Jesus knows that in the book of Acts, that's where this thing is going. This is going to the ends of the earth. Jesus is preparing their hearts to know that his spirit and his power is going to be given to us. And that we will be able to do similar things that will be equipped like him. And so from John Chapter 14, verses 12 through 13, this is what it says. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He's saying, you'll do what I do. You'll do this work. I want you to come with me so that you can see the work that you can do, because I will equip you to do that work. He says, you'll do the works that I do, and greater works than these Will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this is what I'll do, so that... The Father might be glorified in the Son. So Jesus doesn't give us like unlimited power. We don't get to step out and, and face these things on our own power and our own strength and for our own glory. It's for the power and glory of Jesus, that the Father might be glorified. And that's what we're asking God to do in our lives. God, what are you doing in our lives that you might be made glorified, that you might be made <laughs> lifted up and raised high? That's what we're asking. God, what new thing are you leading us to do? And what are you equipping us to go do so that your name would be made high amongst the people in this city where you have planted us? In our workplaces, in the places where our kids play, what are you doing and how are you equipping us to go do this work? Because the invitation is there for us to come with him. Now, when it comes to the demons going into the pigs... The reality is that the demonic is here to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what they do. That's what they're doing to the man. And so it's not surprising that once they inhabit another space, that they do that. That they go, they kill, they steal, and they destroy. That's what they do, and that's what happens with the pigs. And what it is is that these pigs, since they're the symbol of uncleanliness, and so is this dude that's possessed and the spirit, this kind of whole space has the spirit of things that are unclean. Jesus steps into that space and the pigs are, go away. They're destroyed. The spirit goes away and they're destroyed. The man becomes sane and in the right mind. There's this sense that like the things that were dirty, the things that were unclean have become clean because of the presence of Jesus in his kingdom coming. And that's what he wants to do in the most darkest places in our hearts, in our cities, and in our homes, as he wants permission to step out of that boat and call that out and invite us to know him, to invite us to know the light and the hope and the joy that he brings in bringing restoration to that place. So the story continues. The story continues in verse 14. This is what it says. 
It says, the herdmen's fled. They told it in the city and the country. People came to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. Where do you think he got the clothes? Where did they get the clothes? The disciples. Yeah. So the disciples probably gave him the clothes off of his back to say, here, man, have some clothes. You know, seems like a teaching that Jesus would have modeled for them, a thing that they probably had seen before. And so when they're in the spot where this dude's naked, needs some clothes, they're like, oh, I know what to do here. You know, <laughs> like, they're like, I don't know what happened just there, but I know what to do here. And they give him some clothes, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. He's sitting there. I got to imagine he's a little bit exhausted, but Jesus is there, so he's restored him to his right mind. He's fully, he's fully there. And the people are like, what, what happened? What happened? And so they began to beg Jesus to depart from them and from their region. They were afraid. They were afraid of the power that Jesus had. There was no celebration of like, there was no marveling. There was no praise. They were like, oh my gosh, how, how did this happen? How, how, are you, how are you saying? How are you better? It's so good to have you back. Like none of that happened. They're like, what about the pigs? What about the 2,000 pigs that we just lost? They valued their stuff and their power and their life before Jesus more than life after Jesus. They wanted to be able to control him even though they couldn't control him. They just got used to the crazy man by the graves and they said, just avoid that place. But Jesus shows up and he turns their world upside down. They're like, no, we, we didn't want that. Can you please leave? And for us, it can be hard to be like, why wouldn't you want that? But I think that there's places, if we're honest, in our own lives where Jesus wants to turn our life upside down, and we're like, ah, but those pigs, God, those pigs, those 2,000, those are nice. Don't, don't kill those. We can deal with crazy person over here as long as we get to keep the pigs. You're just like, no, I want to clean the whole thing. I want to restore the whole thing. And what we see is that we see this man, he says, the the guy that was possessed, he begs Jesus to come with him, which makes sense. I mean, if you've got an angry group of people that are mad that you just got healed, that your life just got restored, and no one's giving you a hug, like, I'd want to leave too. I'd want to leave too. And he's already been rejected. He already knows what it is to be rejected by these people. They tried to chain him. They tried to bind him. They tried to control him. I'd want a one-way ticket out of there too. But the crazy thing is that's not what Jesus allows him to do. Jesus does not permit him to go. But instead he says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he's had mercy on you. What's crazy is that Jesus knows that this dude's got a home to go home to. He's got old friends. Like this guy hasn't, this hasn't been this guy's life for forever. Like he's got some friends to go home to. He's like, go home to your friends. You have a home here. And what I need you to do is to go home and tell them what God has done for you. That's what you need to do. That's what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want, I want you to, to, to find your friends that, that have abandoned you, that have rejected you. And I, and I want you to tell them how God has had mercy on you, how God has met you. I had a friend of mine over this past season, um, she was really struggling with OCD. OCD that was very, very debilitating. And so much so 
that she knew that she needed to get treatment. She heard from God saying, you know, I want to heal you from this. I want to restore you from this. But the, the way that you're going to do that is I need you to go and do some outpatient treatment. And that meant that she was going to have to quit her job. And that meant that she was going to have to hit pause on her life for 12 weeks. And, and I was like, yeah, I think, I think God's telling you to go do this. And so a group of us prayed over her, and we were praying for her. We were encouraging her. We made meals for her. And she went and she did this 12 weeks outpatient treatment for her OCD. And uh, after 12 weeks, she came back, and you could just tell that God had met her and that she'd been changed. And she's like, even though God had to use this treatment facility, she's like, it's, it's, she's like it was all spiritual. She's like, God met me. And it was really hard. It was really difficult. But she's like, God met me and was faithful to me each of those 12 weeks. Even as I stepped away from my life, from my family, from my kids, she's like, God was faithful in that. And when she went home, her husband was like, my wife is back. My wife is back. And then her dad came and visited her from the West Coast, and he's like, my daughter's back. Like, she's back, and she's been restored. And she's like, and God did that. And God did that. And that's what God did to this guy. He was able to go back home and tell his friends and his family, look at what God did for me. Look at how God had mercy on me. And the guy doesn't stop there. The guy doesn't stop there. He then goes to the Decapolis, which Dec means 10. Opolis means city. It's a region of 10 cities. He goes on like a missionary tour to these 10 cities, proclaiming what God had done for him, and the people marveled. That's what God had for him, and that was what God was calling him to do, even though it went against what he in his gut wanted to do. And so from this story and from this encounter of Jesus, I want to lead us into a couple of places of reflection. And the worship team is going to come up here in a little bit once we kind of talk about these things and give us some space to reflect on these questions. So I want you to, to focus in on it and just allow space for the Spirit to, to allow you to focus on one. Okay, I'm going to ask three, but I think God wants to do one thing at a time. Okay, and so from these three, you know, be aware of which one is God standing, like, <clears throat> bringing up to you to stand out to you. And so the first one is just, just what has Jesus done for you? That's that kind of welcome story, that welcome celebration that I led us into, is what has Jesus done for you in this place? And what is the good news that he has done for you that, you, that he wants you to share with the world? All right, so that's question number one. What has Jesus done for you, and how does he want you to share it? Because he's moving. I think the, the second one is what does Jesus want to call out of you? Like if Jesus were to arrive at, on a boat in the shore of your heart and step out and call something out of you, whether that was fear, worry, anxiety, um, depression, whatever that is, like what is, what is he wanting to call out of you? And, what are you and, and to stop hiding from that and to not allow shame to creep in because in Jesus stepping out of the boat and naming that thing and wanting to call that thing out of you, he wants to bring the kingdom of God in. And he wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. And he wants to give you good news that you can go share with the rest of the world. So I have, I've also heard it said, like, like, what's in you that's not like you? You know, there's times where you do stuff and you're like, I know I just did that, but that wasn't me. 
I know that that wasn't me. Like, that's not true to who I know that I am, who, who I know that God is making me to be. Like, I don't know why I did that. Like, that, there might be, if you focus on that, there might be some stuff there where Jesus is stepping out of the boat and kind of pointing in your heart that he wants to set you free from that thing. He doesn't want to keep you there. He wants to see you set free, and he wants you to be able to tell that good news. And then the final question is, who is Jesus calling you to go share the good news with? It's kind of tied in that first one, but it's so important. Who in your life needs the good news of Jesus? Who in your life needs to just say, for you to just come up and say, hey, I just, I just want you to know like, what God did in my life. I was here in a place similar to yours. God showed up and met me in this place, and it's changed my life forever. You know, just testify, just give a testimony of what God's doing, because God's kingdom is going forward. So those are the questions. What, is, what has God done? What is God doing? And who is he calling you to share with? Because this isn't just for us, just like it just wasn't for the man. I mean, as the man is, is possessed. Jesus heals him. He gets some clothes on his back, and Jesus says, now go tell your friends. Go tell your family. He sends them on mission immediately afterwards. And that's what we need to do with the good news of God, because it is for his glory and his honor above all else. And that's what we're chasing after here this morning. All right? So I want to lead us into a place of prayer. I want to lead us into a place of response. And in that space... As the worship team comes up, as we reflect on those questions, um, also know that in that space, you're welcome to come up and receive communion. Um, and Communion is that spot where you can point at and physically interact with Jesus and something that he has done for you. And that is give his life. You take the, the bread that is his body that's been broken for us for the forgiveness of sins, for the freedom and eternal life, and we take the cup that was poured out for our forgiveness, for new life, for new hope. And we get to take those things that are outside of us and put it inside of us. And to know that Jesus is true inside of us, that his love is true inside of us, and that his spirit is true inside of us. So if you're a believer this morning, we want to invite you to come and do that, participate in that. Would you guys reflect with me and hear the spirit speak to your heart this morning. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are love. And we thank you that you see us and that you set us free and that you call us to a life of praise of you and making your name great. In your name we pray. Amen.